Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, Season 4, Episode 5, as we move into the middle part of October with our production guru, Adam DeMuth, and the big sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and I... uh, we got fooled here over the last couple of days. You know, I feel like we always give a weather report and maybe we should get away from that. But, you know, we're up at the Apple Festival on Sunday up in Bayfield and it was chilly, man. The wind was blowing off the water a little bit and it was only in the 40s. And then all of a sudden yesterday, I uh, I left the office for a couple of hours to go get my, my physical and it was 80. Yeah, it was a really warm. It was 80. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, wow, okay. And then right back down today, now we're back into the, the 50s here, which for me is a little more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. You know, but... Uh, it was pretty warm in the press box last night. I can imagine. Broadcast. It was yeah. real balmy in the gym last night at the Mertz, too, for the volleyball match. Well, and the wind was really picking up. Like, the wind was very, very stiff yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had a lot of wind. And this is something that I talked about a little bit yesterday during the broadcast that I had. But, um, you know, we've been kind of blessed at a certain level, especially with our soccer broadcast this year that there really hasn't been a noticeable amount of wind at the stadium this year. Right. Yesterday was an exception. There was a lot of wind yesterday. Um, and even driving when I came over before the game to get my interviews done, pregame interviews done, um, man, the wind was hauling over the bridge, and it was a little bit dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and you, you know it's bad when you're driving down the road and the dirt flies up. Right. And there was a lot of dirt flying up yesterday. So, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of a uh, – I don't know if it was just sort of a – a one-time event here for this fall or not, but I would imagine that's our yeah our I, last our last gas real beer. warm day. Yeah, I mean it was, but it came out of nowhere. It did. Yeah, like I said like, it, I on, mean, on Sunday you're sitting there at forty yeah. degrees, and you know Monday wasn't that much warmer. No, no, and, and then uh, you know Tuesday rolls around and it's it's touching. What's well, a shock to your system when you all of a sudden gain thirty degrees, right? And then you lose it again mm-hmm. within a twenty-four hour period. It's just it, you know. I'm, I'm not sure. My biorhythms are not necessarily conducive to that. And I, like, it, it's tough for me because, like, you do feel, at least I feel a difference, like, quite a bit. Uh, no, I absolutely, I'm, I'm with you. And it's it's usually apparent in the spring. Right. Because yeah. in the spring, you're going to get that day where it's in the 70s, and then the next day it's in the 30s, and it's yeah. snowing, and then it's back up into the 60s. And if you have seasonal allergies, it's like, oh, my yeah. gosh, it just it, it wreaks havoc on you. Yeah, exactly. You don't expect it as much in the fall, but... Yeah, your your body definitely feels it when you're going through stuff oh, yeah, like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mine does for sure. I definitely have seasonal allergies. I have year-round allergies actually, but um yeah, it, it definitely um kind of you know, I'm just I'm just not used to it and it throws me off. Yeah. You know, so um I'm much more comfortable with the weather we have right now, which is as we record this, it's about 50 degrees out and that's probably right around where we should be. Yep. For this time of year, but yeah, 80 degrees in October is definitely an outlier and I mean, it it, just, it, it felt kind of weird. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. It was it was weird for me to get over to the stadium yesterday for the soccer broadcast, slide open the window, and then and feel just heat. Feel heat coming in. Yeah, yeah that was I'm not used to that in October. Sometimes in September, but not October. Right. So that we use the word allergy, and uh, if we're talking about our sports teams, they have not. They've had an allergy to losing recently. They have. The our our teams across the board have been performing unbelievably well. They have. So they let's have. dive into that. And we uh, we officially have our first conference title. We have our first conference year, title. So, so a that's banner we'll will be going off. up in the field house, and that's a good way to kick things yeah, off. That's uh that's or what we'll tee be off, off if you or will tee off in this case. Uh, hint hint about what we're about to get into. Uh, we'll uh, start, of course, with men's and women's golf. Congratulations to the men's golf team. Coach Paul Everhart, four titles now in six years at the helm of the program. The Yellow Jackets claiming that fourth UMAC Conference Championship on Saturday at the Pebble Creek Golf Club in Becker, Minnesota. They came from 13 shots back on the final day. That's incredible. Yeah, to win their fourth crown, like I said, in the last six years. And win by two. And win by two. Yeah, so, so it was tight right to the very end. Yes, it was. But they found a way to get it through. Uh, one of uh, our two sporters also was kind of one of the headline performers, and we'll talk more about him in a minute here. Um, as a team, the Yellow Jackets fired a 318 on that final day to come all the way back and were led by Charles Martin, the aforementioned hockey player, who also plays for Coach Rich McKenna and company during the winter. He finished third overall with an individual score of 236 for the three-day event. He had a big day, I know, on that last day. He was a big reason why. He carded an eagle. Back. He carded three birdies in there. I mean, he had a really big day. Yeah. He carried the team that day. I saw him yesterday, and he had a big smile on his face. He I think he's a pretty, big smile on his yeah, face. Yeah, I, uh, I think he's pretty proud of how the how they came back and the resilience that they showed in coming back and, uh, and winning. Well, I think uh, at one point he was questioning even playing this fall. Yeah. 
Because well, he played last year and didn't, I don't he's, think, he's, made the rotation. He's played all four years, but yeah. he, he, has, he hasn't been able to crack that top five because Coach Eberhardt's had a really good top five on the men's side. Right, yeah. So he's, he's tended not to be able to crack the top five, and I think it, he was kind of questioning whether he was even going to dive into it this fall or if he was just going to prep for hockey. Well, thank goodness he decided to dive into it. Right, yeah, because now he's going to chance to play in the NCAA tournament and that'll be of course coming up we'll talk in about six that in months minutes. yeah in six months but anyway uh he led the way for the yellow jackets like i said prince finished third and was also named all conference as a result so congratulations to charles martin mm-hmm. hopefully that'll carry over in hockey season for you that'd be <laughs> great yeah uh cody stanish meanwhile placed sixth with a score of 238 while nate burke finished ninth overall 243 all were named uh to the all conference team by the umac so congratulations to them and mm-hmm. the aftermath of winning the title on the women's side the women placed fifth in the conference tournament were paced by bryce burris who finished fifth individually with a score Played of 270. Played very well. Yeah, she had, a, she had a pretty good round. Uh, both Burris and Allie Mashke were named all UMAC by the conference as well, so congratulations to five all-conference members and the men, you know, getting right back where they wanted to be. Uh, yep. They were frustrated. We talked with Taylor Berger, uh, you know, uh, Allie, or um, Kenzie Turr was also here. This was a couple weeks back now, but, uh, you know, the, the goal has always been to get back to the top. The guys were not particularly pleased that they did not win the conference right. title last year. And now they're back on top again and heading back to the NCAA uh, uh, meet. So uh, congratulations to Coach Eberhardt and Charles Martin, uh, Cody Stanish, Nate Burke, and the rest of the Yellow Jackets. Uh, and uh, now, like you said, they'll take a few months off and then try to you know, get themselves ready for the NCAA tournament. Yep. You know, so uh, interesting as we talked about, but mm-hmm. that's uh, where we start. Women's soccer, meanwhile, 7-3-3 and overall, 7-0-1 in the UMAC. They went 2-0-1 last week. Defeating Northwestern 2-0 on Wednesday and North Central 8-0 on Saturday. Both those games were played down the street at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. They also settled for a 1-1 draw with Northland College last night at Ponzio Stadium in Ashland. Against the Eagles, the Jackets got two goals from Cameron Hill, the freshman from Duluth, at 10-28 and 20-01. And that was all the scoring there was in that contest. UWS for the game, 17-14 edge and shots, completing 10-5 advantage and shots on goal. Jenna Lang. Made five stops in goal for the Yellow Jackets. Get the shutout against the Rams. Yellow Jackets scored early and often. Tori Vosberg scored 18 seconds into the game. One of her two goals for her on the day. Ava Giswold had two goals as well for UWS. Maya Holmquist, Allison Alessi, Cameron Hill, and Rachel Webb also found the back of the net for the Yellow Jackets, who held a 43-2 edge in shots, including 18-0 margin shots on goal. It was a little one-sided. Goal. Yeah, it was a one-way traffic. From the get-go. Yep, I mean, from the get-go. 18 seconds in. Yeah, we were still checking to see if live stats were functioning and all that, and yeah. then all of a sudden they scored. Yep, I wasn't even looking at the field when it happened. I was down. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was looking at. A I computer. was down talking to Coach McKenna, and all of a sudden, well, here, <laughs> suddenly saw the ball in the back of the net. It's yep. like, okay, well, that's I guess how this is going to start. And here we go. Quinn Clark starting goal for the Yellow Jackets and post the shutout. Didn't have to make any saves. Didn't see the ball very much, as you might expect. And against Lumberjills last night, UWS got a goal from Maya Holmquist at forty-eight twenty-six to take a one-nothing lead. Before the Lumberjills actually equalized at 87-40, so just before the end of regulation. UWS 15-4, the advantage in shots. 6-4 shots on goal advantage for UWS. Jenna Lang and Quinn Clark explained time and goal of Lang making three saves in the contest. Men's soccer, similar story. 2-0-1 last week as well. Defeating Northwestern 2-1 on Wednesday and North Central 2-0 on Saturday before selling for a contentious 2-2 draw last night against Northland. All those games played at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex against the Eagles. UWS got goals from Mackie Ringrose, Blake Perry, in that two nothing, two to one win. Excuse me. They held a nineteen to eight edge in shots, including seventy three seven two three advantage in shots on goal. Alex Paredes got the win and goal for the Yellow Jackets with two stops against the Rams. Jackets got goals from Karsten Kletty, his first of the season, and Perry while holding a thirty to two advantage in shots. UWS also 14-2 to the edge in shots on goal. Paredes got the shutout with two saves. And then last night against the Lumberjacks, game went back and forth. UWS getting goals from Mackie Ringrose and Jake Kidd while holding a 28-5 to edge in total shots. UWS also 12-3 to the edge in shots on goal, but were forced to sell for their second draw against the Lumberjacks this season. Paredes made one saving goal for the Yellow Jackets in that contest. Very contentious game last night. Uh, a lot of stoppages. I, I think we all expected that. Yeah. Um, a lot of stoppages. Um Game almost lasted two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were several injuries, stoppages. Only three cards were handed out, which I think was a little bit surprising. That is a little surprising. And there were a total of fourteen fouls called in the game, which also seemed on the low side considering the amount the of history physicality. And the physicality. Yeah, yeah, I thought they might have called a few more, but um, yeah, I mean it was uh, it was a knockdown, drag out affair, and uh, they might make it again in the playoffs. Who knows? But uh, so two tra- two draws against Northland this year, and. Uh, I think that's the first time that's happened probably ever in program history yeah, against them. I so. would, 
safe to say. Yep. Moving on to women's volleyball, eleven and nine overall. Now they're seven and one in the UMAC. They're having a heck of a conference season here. Went two and one last week, defeating North Central three sets to one on Friday night at Clark Danielson Gym in Minneapolis before falling to Northwestern in straight sets, three sets to nothing on Saturday at the Erickson Center in St. Paul. Then the L Jackets closed out the week by sweeping Northland College last night at the Mertz, three sets to nothing to go two and one for the week against the Rams. Set scores were 23-25, 25-19, and 25-16. The L Jackets were led by Cassie Teff, who posted a triple-double her first one of the year. She had a couple of those last year, too. She had a lot of them last year. She was among the national leaders last year. Yeah, she had a bunch of them last year. This is her first one this year. 12 kills, 21 assists, and 10 digs. Alexi Preed, 12 kills and 19 digs. Colleen Claude, 20 assists and 13 digs. So a lot of Yellow Jackets having good matches against the Rams. Mayanna Stark had 12 kills. Jenner Anderson had a team leading 30 digs, and Haley Atwood also with 10 digs for the Yellow Jackets. Against the Eagles, Yellow Jackets fell by scores of 25-14, 27-25, 25-14. That's a top-five team, by the way, that Northwestern squad. So that's, no. that's a good outfit. Yeah, really good, really good consistent team they've had down there for years now. UWS was led by Teff with seven kills, 12 assists, and nine digs. Lexi Pre finished with seven kills, while Colleen Cloud had 12 assists, and Jenna Anderson had 16 digs. And then against the Lumberjills last night, UWS was victorious by sets, uh, scores of 25-19, 25-19, and 25-23. And that's impressive considering where they had been against Northland earlier in the year. They went five. Yeah, went five with them. Went four with them in the first match. Went yep. five with them down in or over in Ashland. And then three sets to nothing last night, so impressive in that regard. Yellow Jackets were led by Mayanna Stark with 14 kills. Lexi Preet had 11 kills and 12 digs. Cassie Teff had 19 assists. Colleen Claude, 17 digs. And Jenna Anderson, again, led the team with 21 digs for the Yellow Jackets. So Stack crew nightmare last night, though. Yeah, that was, we were kind of talking about that a little bit. Stack crew nightmare. I got the heads up on that from Everything uh, is Rachel Hodekainen when she came up to the press box because a lot of the people who were at volleyball came to soccer after that game was over. Yep. And she kind of gave me a little bit of a rundown of what there happened. A few of and, us that had to stay after. And yeah, and she uh, watched a little video and <laughs> tried to decipher how to get some of this put back into the system. I imagine it was a late night in the office last night. No, it really wasn't that bad. Okay, it really wasn't okay. that bad um, because the program we we enter statistics into is a cloud-based computer program. Okay, it's not the DOS program of Stack Crew Nightmares of Thank several generations Thank of goodness sports for that. information yeah. directors. But the uh, everything was clipping along fine, and we just got to thirteen nine in the second set, and the computer froze. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> and it only took a couple of points to get it functioning again, but by then you're behind. Right. Yeah. And everything moves so quickly in volleyball between points that it was really difficult to get to a point where we could input everything. So. All oh, right. Right. Ryan's calling. I'm writing feverishly, and then we're handing sheets over to Javon Walker, who is entering statistics for us. And at one point, I'm like, there's no way he's going to be able to decipher my chicken scratch. Yeah, I know exactly what it says. Things are happening But there's fast. no way yeah. he's going to be able to do this. So he's kind of sitting there looking at the screen and looking at this sheet. And I'm going, yeah, this isn't going to work. This, <laughs> this is going to be bad. So we, we, we got through the match. And had to actually go back up and watch video to get us to 13-11. And then the chicken scratch took us from 13-11 to the end of the set. But it ended up being about an hour endeavor after the Oof. match was completed to, Doesn't sound like any to get to all me. of this entered and put together. And yeah, All I can do is shake my head on that one because I've been there and it's not fun. No, it's not. And I actually earlier this year had to restat a volleyball match. Thankfully, it was a, a three-setter, oh. but it took five and a half hours. Oh, yeah. When you're resetting a match from video. Oh, yeah. It takes you a know, long it time. It takes a really long time. So, you know, like, like they always say, tip your waiter, pat your stat people on the back <laughs> because the stuff that they go through sometimes, my oh, my. It's one of the most <laughs> thankless jobs in all the sports. So, yes. <laughs> so, Yeah. So, yeah, but that was the week that was because cross-country was idle. They were idle. And speaking of cross-country, we are going to get our fill of running. We will not be running ourselves. We joked about maybe we should have had a treadmill in here for the uh, that segment and uh, get Michael on it and he could talk while running. But uh, we decided against that because it would have been too hard to get a treadmill in this place. So (laughs) we'll be talking some running here in the next segment of the roundtable. Head coach Glenn Drexler, Michael Butterfield from the Vance Cross Country team will be joining us. That'll be coming up right after this as I Have the Swarm continues. 
I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking <laughs> Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. We're back on Eye of the Swarm. It is now our roundtable segment of the show, and we are going to go from a sport with a lot of running last week in soccer to even more running in cross country. And we are joined by head coach Glenn Drexler and Michael Butterfield from the men's cross country team. And always like to start off with, you know, let's get a little bit of a state of the program, a little bit of a recap on how the season has gone so far because you gearing up for the championships coming up in a couple of weeks. So give us a little bit of a little synopsis on the both the men's and women's programs where they're at heading toward the championships, Coach. Right on. Um, well, we're getting to the end of our regular season uh, coming up. Can I say this weekend? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. I was going through the calendar in my right, mind. Right. Yeah, I think this is it. Well, it is. But, um, <laughs> I don't know how you, you know, always publish this stuff. So, uh, But, yeah, we're coming up this weekend. We're going to Rock Island. It'll be our final regular season meet of the year. Um and as we do, we, we're, we're continually ramping up uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, our teams have been responding very well to what we're doing. Um, a lot of PRs over the last you know, consecutive weeks. Um, so people are running well. They're, they're, they're running well when we want them to. Um, and they're getting used to, like you know, freshmen getting used to a new distance of, of a course is always something new to them. And so they're, they're becoming more familiar with you know, women on a 6K, men on an 8K. And, uh, and they're, like I said, it's just, it's, they're doing well. And, and now, now the key, honestly, is staying healthy is that's our, that's our biggest, our biggest goal. Um, stay healthy so we can, we can get into the conference meet as a, as a team and be able to, uh, kind of do the work that we, we think we can do. What's the, this, forgive the ignorance. Cause you know, look at me, I'm not built for running, never have been, but the change in distance. What is the difference between high school and, and the college distance? Yeah, so high school distance, boys and girls run a 5K race okay. mostly. Um, there are some states that run still run three miles. Illinois runs three miles, for instance. Um, we run uh, five. Uh, so 5K, 5K is is roughly 3.1 miles. Uh, so our women now at college level is you know normally at Division three level, we're running 6K for women, which is just on, what, it's right around four miles. Around four, yeah. um, and then uh, the men run 8K, which is just under five. So that's what we're running. And, um, you know, at D, at D2 and D1 level, they, you know, at their, at their regional and, and national levels, they run 10K for their races, but they run 8K all year long. So that's kind of what the, the change is from high school to college. Um, but, yeah, ours, ours is just to up to a 6K and a 5, or 8K. The, the distance, honestly – you know, we're, we're training them to run those distances and we're, we're kind of teaching them how to run those distances um, effectively. Uh, you know, obviously it's a bigger shift from a, for a male, you know, going from five to eight. Uh, but that shift from a women's, you know, five to six is minuscule. It's really not that much of a difference. And I think they do pretty well with that. Um, but the guys, you know, we're just, we're, we're adding, we're adding mileage, we're adding intensities um, and those things and, and teaching them how to run, you know, However, we're, we're, we're teaching them. Typically, we're, we're teaching our kids how to run 2K at a time um, to help them be more effective throughout this, this course of the, of the race. But, um, but, yeah, no, they seem to pick up on it pretty quickly. And, and you know, we're, we're running every other week racing, I should say, every other week. Uh, so that gives us two weeks to really kind of work on how we do these things and, and then the effectiveness of the training and all that. So um, that's the biggest shift is just learning how to, the mental side of 5k to 8k or 5k to 6k and i know you've been very intentional about the the every other week mm -hmm. of competition is that the the primary reason is it to get proper rest in there is it to give you that extra time to build up yeah. what is the reason because there are schools that frankly don't mm -hmm. operate that way and right. just go yeah every week yeah i think it's becoming it's definitely more common throughout 
the landscape. Um, you know, even probably 15 years ago, it was maybe we, we ran a lot more races, you know, not just us, but everybody. Um, but I think we've all realized that that, that recovery, I hate to use it a, a term as recovery week, but it, it allows us to train through two weeks, a two week cycle, which allows us a lot more good work. Um, you know, we'll still be able to recover after a meet, which it does take a few days to, to come back from that. You know, our calves and our hamstrings and our, you know, those kind of things are really kind of tight and sore and, and whatnot on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday even. Um, so to have to come back and try to run in the next weekend is tough at times. Um, so it's, it's good that we do run these two-week cycles and, and be able to, to allow ourselves time to recover and then train effectively uh, through two weeks. Um, yeah, high school kids come in and they're running two, maybe three races a week at times. And it blows my mind. Um, now, some of those coaches are using them as training meets as well, but they're really never recovering. And, and you could see that with some of those teams at the end of the year, they're, they're tired. You know, those poor kids are, are tired when they get to sections and they don't have much left in them. Um, if they, you know, but that's just my outside looking into them. Um, but when we shift them into the college, you know, we're giving them a lot more training time through two weeks. And I think their eyes are open to it's a different kind of world that we live in, which is it's pretty cool to see them adjust to that. Let's throw it over to the runner now, Michael, mm-hmm. and let's talk about that because you were the freshman last year coming from the high school now to the, the college races and having to make that transition. What was that like for you? Um, a big thing was just the pure mileage during practice. You know, during high school, you'd run 25 to 30 miles a week, and then we get here and, uh, you know, you sit at like 60 and 70. So it's a lot different just being on your feet for a lot longer. Plus, you know, you get to I remember my first 8K, I went through the 5K, and my body was like, oh, we're done. Here's the distance. Like, stop running. And I was like, no, we're, like, slightly over halfway. So it was definitely a big shock when I was like, oh, you know, it's not even two miles. And it's like, oh, wow, it's almost two miles. So (laughs) that was a big part. Um, Yeah, just training. Uh, Speed workouts are a lot longer, you know, instead of doing – Five 400s, we're doing 20 400s. Instead of doing two 1Ks, we're doing eight 1Ks. So it's just, it's all about the volume, I would say. It's a lot different. How did your body handle the extra pounding? Because you talked about the increase of mileage. Basically, in some cases, doubling it. When you're talking 30 to 60 or 70 miles, you're doubling your mileage in a week. How did your body handle the pounding? Um, I remember my first week last year, we ran about nine miles for Monday through Thursday. And that Friday morning, I crawled out of bed to go to practice. I was like, wow, <laughs> I cannot move. I was so tired. But now, I mean, you're used to it. I'm used to it now. It's it's just, all right, here we go. But that first couple weeks, it was a definitely a big shift between, oh, I'm I'm not tired. I'm ready. You know, it's just four miles now. It's like, I'm tired, and I have to go do 10. So it was it was a learning curve. We, we were talking, too, before we even got on the air a little bit about, about weather, you know, because you went from 40 degrees up to almost 80 degrees yesterday. Now you're in the 50s today, and it's going to keep getting cooler. How do you manage that as a runner? Because obviously when you're training throughout the summer and everything, usually it's it's pretty warm. Yeah. And nothing really changes. Then you get into season, and it's up and down in a roller coaster. How does the body react to that? Um. Well, uh, we definitely saw it yesterday. Personally, I was I was a little pooped. <laughs> you know, going from the 40s to the 80s. But a big thing is what you wear. I guess, you know, when it gets colder towards regions, you know, you're running in long sleeves and tights, not shorts and no shirt. Um, so a big thing is just watching what you wear. Make sure you're not over or underdressed. Keep your body warm, but not too warm. We we also touched with Coach on the, the, the way the schedule model is built out and having that extra week off. Do you prefer having that that break in between or are you do you prefer to maybe let's I wouldn't mind competing a little bit more which do you prefer and he's um, not going to get mad if you say you want to compete more <laughs> there's coaches a, like that sometimes yeah there's the ups and downs I mean it's nice because like he said we're getting rested we're recovering but we're also training through it so when we hit that next meet even though you have to wait longer you can hit it a lot harder than you would you know back to back um, the only, honestly, the only downfall is if you don't have the greatest race or if you're not satisfied with your performance, you got to wait that extra long to yep. redeem yourself. But 
I would say it's definitely more beneficial than trying to push and push and push and not get anything out of it. Personally, I think that the two-week thing is – I don't think it should be mandatory, but I would think that you would not want to go every week, especially if you have a young team and trying to adjust. You know, I mean, the, the jump from 5K to 6K for the women, like you said, not that big of a jump. But, man, that's a big distance difference from going from 5K to 8K if you're a guy. And I would think that that would, you know, those two extra weeks, especially if you're a young team, gives you more time to train and just build yourself up to being able to handle that distance. It's just, it's not the same. You know, it's 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 yeah. a change. And Over you got to change your mindset and your strategy a little bit and your kick time and all that kind of stuff. That's all got to be yeah. kind of reevaluated and reestablished kind of. Over the course of, of, of that first year for our freshmen, um, they're they're getting acclimated to a lot you know just the mileage and the intensities and the distance of the races all that stuff and this this is a learning year for them i mean i think michael can attest to that that his first year he learned a lot you know of what it all meant and i i keep saying this running is not rocket science but the intensities the 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 kind of things that we do you know the mileage that all goes up and so it's not foreign to them but it's the, the the effort is foreign to them, you know, the kind of things that they have to put themselves through. So that is the 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 acclimation period. It's they understand the language, but now it's the oh my gosh, this is this is hard. Yep. But 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 you know, in the end, if you if you buy into it, if you do the work, and, and Michael is one of those that has bought in and done really well. Um, it it shows in the results. I mean, he's he's doing well this year, and he's he's having a great year, um, breakout year, and. and you know, if, if things go well, we're gonna we're gonna go a long way this year. It's interesting for me. I came from St. Olaf, an undergrad, big time cross country school, um, both on the men and the women's side. And they used to run every week. But one of the things that I think sometimes gets lost is that there were years when I was there where the men would have fifty runners and the women would have seventy. So they would take different groups to these. It wasn't the same groups running every week. You know, you might have your top line guys and gals go the first week, but then the next week you might bring, you know, 15 different runners to wherever you were going. Everybody else gets an off week or, you know, that was sort of the way that they run it. And if you have those numbers, you can get away with that running every week. If you don't have those numbers, then it really does pound on you, I would think, you know, and that's, I know UMD runs their program the same way, pretty much. They try to have at least 10 days in between events for the same reason. It's just, if you don't have that kind of number in your program, it's really hard to maintain a week-to-week -week with the amount of mileage that is required to be able to go out there and really compete in college. It's, it's just a completely different um, sort of setup, whereas I think the feeling in high school seems to be that, well, 5K really isn't that long. It's only 3.1 miles, you know, and Glenn, you were talking about some of these kids are running two to three times a week, which is probably not necessarily great. But, um, you know, a lot of those kids also, I'm, I'm sure, are trying to get to that next college level and trying to kind of get to that mindset, get noticed as much as they can. So it, it's uh, – John and I have talked about this. Um, running is something, and whether it's cross-country, marathon running, uh, track running, it's really something that is very different from what me and John are used to. So it, it, we're kind of learning as we go here. I think I speak for John in that regard too, that we're kind of learning the process and because it – not just a physical thing, it's also a mental thing, kind of going into that physical part. And I'm sure Michael can also speak to this as well. The pounding is different, but it also kind of has to help. You have to kind of develop another set of quote-unquote calluses in your brain to kind of, you know, relearn how much, you know, endurance you have to have and when you can start your kick in. And I don't know, you know, because I keep bringing up kick. People who, who don't know distance running don't necessarily, I don't think, know that there is such a thing as a kick you know, an ending kick, and you're trying to kind of build up to that as the race goes on. So, but it's a completely different, I mean, distance, but it's also kind of retraining yourself, I suppose, at a certain level. A little bit. Um, big thing for me is just, like you said, with the mental callus, it's like, okay, I can either hurt a little bit and just coast in, or I can hurt a lot and go hard, and if you're going to hurt, you might as well hurt a lot, so... If you got it, go. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, too, because Tyler Finger, we had him on a couple of years ago, and he kind of laid it out as, look, when you're running in a race, you know you're going to be hurting. It's just a question of do you, how much of that hurt do you accept before you have to kick. I mean, that was something I know, John, you, know, you, you and I talked about. That was really interesting to hear his perspective on that 
Um, and he talked about it both with cross country and also with track, but when you're running a race, you're, you're going to hurt. You just have to decide how much hurt there is and how much you can take and how much that quote unquote callus has built up and whether you have that extra push that you need in order to get to where you want to go as far as PRs or winning a race or whatever it might be. Let's talk a little bit about the strategy involved, because I think to the outsider, it's like, well, gun goes off and you run. And there's nothing more than that. Then you just get done. But it, it can become a, a pretty strategic sport. And talk a little bit about some of the strategy that goes into running right. an 8K race on the men's side. With, without getting into details. About yeah, I don't want you to give away any, any secrets Yeah, here. but, but uh, no, I think there's a good point now. You know, Matt keeps talking about this kick. And I, I, to be honest, I, I try to get away from that entirely. I think that is almost a, a, a yeah, bad Matt. place to be. Um, no, here's the thing. You can pass 10 people at the end or three people in the end, but if you could have passed 50 throughout the course of the race, that's a much better ratio. I'll take that in a heartbeat. So I'm going to train my guys to run harder throughout, even if they're going to get passed by two guys at the end, that's, that's just two. But the 50 guys they pass throughout the course of the race, it's a bigger deal. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for that every, every day of the week. So the kick is, you know, yeah, it's great and all. Um, but the people who focus on that and we have a couple, um, I think I think they're not seeing the bigger picture yet. Um, so I think the, the course of the race is much more important okay. than the last 400 meters. That's interesting. So so we don't we we work more harder on the on the on the larger portion of the race. Okay. You know, with our speed work involved that we do, and, and it's it has to do with that a little bit, but it has more to do with foot speed okay. really. Um, so as far as how we train and what we focus on, uh, the kick is is very minimal. We don't. That's not something that we really spend a lot of time talking okay. about or working on, but to to focus on, like I said, if we're if we're working on two k per per, how to get through a race two two k per, um, you know, we'll start a workout. So if we're running an eight k workout, we'll do a one k to start off because in a race that first k is flying. Everybody's going way too fast, and we're out of our element. We shouldn't be there. Uh, so we get that first k out of the way at workouts just the same way. We, we run one so we can finally settle into a rhythm. All right, the next, now we'd run in a 2K. And now we're going to try to find the rhythm that we need to, to try to hit. So we're going to try to run the pace that we want to run in a, in, a, in a race or slightly faster so we can feel some of that pain, some of that effort that we need to, to get comfortable with. Okay. Um, that's what we're focusing on more than anything is, is learning where that uncomfortable spot is that we need to be in to be able to run a full race effectively okay. rather than worrying about any 400 meter kick that really is a minute part of the bigger race so that's that as far as how we you know build a runner and and how we strategize a runner those are some of the more important things i would say that we look at from how to run a race that's interesting because i've i've always been told that it was the opposite so i'm glad though to hear that there's a there are different perspectives on though how you want to run the race and it's more about rhythm for you guys and establishing a nice consistent pace that you're going to be able to maintain and be able to go past people who might be holding back a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad to learn these kind of things because, you know, I've, I've always been taught that or been told that you're trying to find a rhythm where you have enough at the end where you can, you know, make a push at the end. When I see runners who come in hot and they're running like a all time PR 400 in their, in their six K race or their AK race, they didn't give enough in their first, you know, basically, most of the, you know, 90% of the race, they didn't give enough. Okay. They got way too much left in the tank. And that's, it's unfortunate to see because, because you look at them like, man, they, they could have done so much, but they could have been three minutes ahead of this pace, but they're, they're focused on a, on a kick that they can look good at the end, but they could have been so much further up. And that's, that's how I see it. I, I think that's how most coaches would see it too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What do you employ on a race, Michael? Like when you, you get you gun goes off and you start how does a race unfold for you as you're getting through that first k like coach said and then people get into their rhythm a little bit how do you start thinking about the different points in the race about okay i need to get past this many people here now i need to make a move here how do you operate that in your mind as you're going through 8k um well when the gun goes you know there's always that group like 
20, 30 people that, yeah, just gone. It's just like the inline for me. <laughs> yep, yeah, we talked about that with you, yeah. They're just gone. And so you, you kind of watch them and you're like, okay. I'll see you in a Like in 10 of you are going to fall off and I'm going to pick you off one by one at 3K. Mm -hmm. And it happens every time. And then you go by and you go through 6K and you get those couple, you know, you get those few in that top group that, I mean, that they know what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. there for a reason. But you get those few that get excited and so you look at those guys, you're like, okay, I'm going for you. And so you get them in the middle of the race, and then going into the finish, by that time they're so dead, you're just cruising at your own pace and doing your own thing. There's not enough room to make it up in the first place. Yeah, and I, I would say, like, we go, to, we go to, you know, regional races, and I've been telling our runners this for you know, as long as I've been coaching. Those races always go out too fast, always go out too fast. And if, if you can run the consistent race that we want you to run even though it might be hard for you but if you can run that consistent race without getting too caught up with the rest of the field they'll come back to you that that's a faith thing at times which right. is hard you know to watch that field run away from you early and you're like oh man I, there's no way if you have a little bit of faith knowing that if you look at year to year the times that these guys run they're going to come back to earth now top guys yeah they're gone and michael alluded to that hey, they're gone but the rest, there's a there's a big group of people that are going to start coming back to you if you just if you're patient enough, and you can run the race that we believe you can. Um, and it happens year after year, and we see it every time. And it's just a matter of believing that it will happen. That's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Hard thing. Yeah, because your instinct is to catch up. Yeah, stick with them. Yeah, stay start. with them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where and that's where we'll see it. I mean, I, I watched a high school meet yesterday where. Uh, there was a couple kids who panicked a little bit, and they 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 went out hard, probably harder than they should have, you know, and and they they paid a little bit of a price for that. So, um, you know, it's just having a little bit of experience with that, just knowing, hey, I got to stick with my plan, even though it looks like the plan is out the window. No, stick with your plan. Okay, it's probably going to pay off if you hold on to it, but being patient, and that's that's what we talk about. You know, even be mindful, talk about mindfulness and those kind of things of just being where you need to be, not where everybody else is, but where you need to be, you can maybe stick with something and, and, and it'll pay off if you if you pay, have patience and, and believe it. Are you looking when you are training, are you looking to set a consistent pace throughout the, like a even pace throughout? I mean, is there? Yeah, that's for, for per race. Yeah, that's, okay. that's kind of the goal. Um, it's not easy. It's hard, but but definitely that's our goal is to okay. find a uh, an area that is is really comfortably uncomfortable uh, that you can maintain for you know whatever whatever it might be whether it's the distance or the time that we're we're allowing for, but you know usually the, what we talk about is if we can get through you know that six k all right that's where we start to ask okay now what do you got left. All right, that's when you got to start running with your guts a little bit. Okay. Try to finish it off. Um, but if we can get through, you know, like for an AK, for an AK guy, um, that's, you know, we're shooting for that, getting through 6K at the at that even pace. The last two tends to fly pretty quick, especially that last K. You, you, there's nothing, it's it just, it's, you're gone at that point. And now you're, you're flying with, the, with, with whatever left, you know, you got in your legs and your heart and your, your lungs. But, yeah. I know with your schedule, it's, it seems like you try to, there's certain meets you go to every single year. Mm -hmm. What is it about the meets that you choose? How do you yeah. pick those competitions that you want to put your team in? Is it, I really like this course. I like the competition that is here. Yeah. How do you go into building your schedule? Yeah, so that's a great question, and, and I'm kind of proud of our schedule. I think we have one of the one of the, one of the best schedules, you know, around in the Midwest. I mean, any school you talk to, I think a lot of schools would be jealous of what we do for you know for the most part. Um, Coach Tom that we have with us, Tom Cedarquist, he 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 ran over at Concordia uh, Moorhead, and he tells me on a regular basis, God, I wish I had this schedule when I was running. I mean, I could have done so much with this schedule. Um, we ramp up. You know, we start with a smaller meet early in the season, um, something that, you know, allows everybody to kind of get their feet wet, get used to what we're doing, whether it's a full distance or not. It's just, all right, we're racing again. We're, we're getting at a higher tempo, higher rate. Um, then we try to ramp up a little bit and go to a little bit bigger meet, and, and that just keeps ramping up through the course of the year. Um, the competition continues to get better. You know, um, the the race, the teams that we see within our either within our region or nationally speaking, as we will this weekend, will 
will continue to help us rise as individuals as well. The goal within this, our schedule, you know, so we go from from a small meet, whether it's a, a conference preview meet, whether it's at Nomadji or Crown or wherever it might be, and then we step into St. Olaf, then we go to uh, Eau Claire, then we go this week, we're going to Naperville, or excuse me, uh, Rock Island. Um, you know, that Rock Island meet, it's a, teams from all over the nation. You know, we got teams from the West Coast, the East Coast, everywhere in between. And to prepare our national caliber athletes, you know, for that kind of level of running, we want us to see some good runners and be able to compete with those. Um, so, you know, conversely, we have some, some, some athletes who are just learning what running is, um, but they'll still have their opportunities to, to develop as well. But the courses that we run, you know, ultimately show us how the, how the regional races will run, you know, as far as that goes. And that's important to us because we want to do well on a regional and quite frankly, national level eventually is that's our goal. Um, and as individuals, I think that's what they want too. Um, so we're, we're kind of just ramping up throughout and the courses that we run, the, the, the terrain that we run allow us to continue to, to help run fast and run well. And that's what we look for. How do you deal with the terrain? Because I'm assuming some courses are hillier than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where we are, mm -hmm. you know, on this side of the bridge, it's pretty flat. Yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you train yeah. your athletes for a, a course that's a little bit hillier? Uh, well, that's a great question. We we try to shoot for um, training areas that mimic what we're kind of running. Now, there's you know, there's there's different philosophies on on how you develop a season. Um, you know, we'll we'll do a lot more hill work earlier in the season to build base strength. And then kind of flatten things out to work on speed towards the end of the year. That's in general terms, um, but yeah, throughout the course. I mean, so we got Crown, you know, as our conference course, and it's it's a it's a technical course in the sense that there's a lot of up and downs, and so we'll train for that. You know, that's what we've been training on. And so to this year, because we're got Crown for our conference meet, you know, we're doing hill type work a lot later into our season than we would normally do, because we're still working on the things that we are going to see at the conference meet. Um, so it changes from year to year, depending on our, what our known, you know, championship events will look like. Um, but ultimately we, we've kind of had that, whether we were in the, the Midwest region with, with the Wisconsin schools earlier on, or, or the central region, when we switched to the UMAC or now back to the North region, um, these regional courses tend to be fast. And so we're kind of gearing forward that even more so than conference at times, as far as how we're going to progress because we've got athletes like Michael who you know have the aspirations of hitting nationals and that's what we're going to keep shooting for um, so to be prepared for those things as a bigger goal are, are still part of our plan now it doesn't mean we're overlooking conference not by any means right. um, we still will train for those things obviously because we're still doing the kind of hill work we're doing but ultimately you know we still have some some steps after that that will need to be addressed throughout the course of the season. So yeah, we're hitting stuff that does. Now, going back to your question about, you know, the the terrain here in town. Yeah, it's it's I it's flat. as a yeah, as a runner, so I where I live in Proctor where I I've, I've got to run a hill every turn I make, I love coming down to Superior and running the Flatlander life. You know, that's that's what old Dan Conway used to say, the Flatlander life. Um yeah, man, that's that's that kind of thing, but when we need to find some terrain, we will find them. We got, you know, the cemetery is a good place for us to run some hills. Um, go there to die kind of thing, you know, and, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we go, we will try to get over to Duluth and find some, some off pavement stuff too, where we're hitting some of the Duluth running or the, um, superior hiking trail, yep. for instance, or, or some other trails that are out there. Um, I know that these guys do a lot, you know, uh, on their long runs, they'll head over to Duluth and, and do some of that stuff. So we have our opportunities. Honestly, we have everything we could want within reason, you know, it just, there are days when we have to run from campus, and so we'll run a lot of flatlands or stuff. But we get over to Duluth, we'll, we'll hit some some hills. Then there's now no shortage of hills in Duluth. <laughs> That's for sure. As someone who lives across the bridge, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine, you know, growing up on the range, I'm a fellow Iron Ranger myself, no shortage of hills up there. So you're probably pretty comfortable on the, the up and down course or the hilly course, aren't you? Yeah, I don't mind it. But, I mean, everyone likes a flat because <laughs> – I mean, this next one, Rock Island, it's a track meet disguised as a cross-country meet. I mean, sure. the hill is maybe five feet, <laughs> if that. So this one is good for 
good times. But, I mean, when we get to Crown and it's ups and downs and sharp turns and, you know, iffy conditions, um, it's nice to have that background experience mm-hmm. that you can be like, okay, I've done this. I can do this. It's not that big of a deal. Let's focus on, on you a little bit, Dan, how you, you know, let's let's talk about how did running become a thing for you? You know, um, I mean, it's the, the old joke is your sport is everyone else's punishment. How did you decide that that punishment was going to become your sport? When was it your thing? Well, um, to be honest with you, middle school, I was a chubby football player. Okay. I was our center. <laughs> um, I was about 5'6", and like 200, not 200, like 180 pounds. So I weighed more in middle school than I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sister joined cross country, and I was like, oh, that's not that hard. I could totally do that. I could beat your time the first time I ever ran. So I joined – on the whim of, I was like, I gotta be beat my sister. So I did it, and I was like, oh, this isn't bad. So that was eighth grade, and then ninth grade, I made varsity for half the year. Um, then I, you know, everyone got faster, I stayed the same. But then 10th, 11th, and 12th, I kind of figured out, oh, hey, I'm not that bad at this. Maybe let's actually try and see what happens. And then we, well, 10th grade was my first year at state, and I got... I was going to uh, say, you were on some pretty successful teams at Greenway, too. Yeah. I, uh, the cross-country team, were, they, they've had a good run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got approached by a couple colleges, and then I found Glenn, and I was like, okay, this this will, this will work. I like it here, so... Okay. That was going to be kind of my next question, is how you ended up here, you know, because I know for... In most cases, it's coach... Sees meet, coach likes athlete, coach begins the process. In other cases, it's athlete seeks out coach in the program. So I was curious how Superior became your destination. Well, I was, I had a couple colleges in mind. Um, those fell through just costs, you know, private D2 school. I was like, no. Yeah. Um, so then it was kind of last minute. I mean, it was beginning of my senior year track season, super late in the game. I emailed Glenn. Because my coach was like, well, what about Superior? You know, like, he he's talked to me about you. I was like, okay. So I emailed Glenn, and we talked, and he came to a couple meets, and it just worked out good. Found a good fit, you know, small class size, good coach. Mm-hmm. So, And so going from now freshman year to sophomore, you've seen quite a bit of success this year, and, you know, you met Athlete of the Week a couple of times. What has been the biggest jump from freshman to sophomore year for you personally? Oh, personally, that's a good question. Um, well, last year, um, I finished with twenty six forty nine, and I was like, okay, so that's that's a good good freshman year. I can build on this. And so, going through track season, I was like, I wanna I wanna try win conference next year. So that was a big thing. And then another big thing was, uh, well, if I'm gonna win conference, I might as well go for nationals. So kind of got that like twenty five thirty time in mind, and it's just been that since every workout. Every race, it's just, okay, you're going to be one step closer. You want to get this, you got to do this. So it was honestly mainly just a setting higher goals instead of just being like, well, I'm the freshman. I'm just going to do what I can do. Mm-hmm. Now it's I need to do what I can do. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part. He's been segueing and like stealing my questions, basically, because then it was going to be like, well, okay, now, so now you got a few meets left here. What's the expectation? And then he just basically told us. You know, where the time is going to be at, he wants to win conference and, and make that jump to nationals. And, you know, so then put coach on the spot. Where is he at in his season, in his training, in his mental place and everything? Where do you see him right now and how close to those goals is he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's right on pace to do what he needs to do. The hard part, obviously, is stepping on that line race day and actually making those things happen and 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 then throwing in all the variables, you know, between <laughs> recovery and, and, and how we're feeling and what we ate that morning or not, or that night before or whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of variables that we, we need to make sure that we're very cognizant of, of, of all the time. And, and I think Michael's starting, he, he, he realizes it anyway, but I think it's becoming even more important now um, as we get closer to making sure that you know, I'm not eating something three days out that's going to stop me from being who I need to be on race day or whatever it is, rest included. You know, so there's a lot of those little factors that I think where he's starting to pay a lot more closer attention to than he had previously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's awesome. That's all we can ask for. I don't think everybody realizes that immediately when they step into this is that it's it's not just running. It's your whole life. And, and we've talked about this before, just between the three of us, is that it's a lifestyle, and they totally need to be able to, if they want to have high successes like we're aspiring to do, you have to buy in all. You know, you can't just make it a, a training day thing or a practice thing. It's it's, an it's entire, not even a season thing. I mean, it's yeah. a it's a year round yeah. thing where you see other yeah. sports they get out of season and they can they can let it go a little bit. Yeah. Yep. And for you, it's not necessarily like that. It's a year round. Yeah. Where you you have to be committed to this. Yeah. Because you can't let it fall off at all. Summer miles get a little rough. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're coming down to the end of summer. Two weeks till season, it, running isn't a privilege anymore. It's, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I have to go run in 80-degree heat after I just worked a 12-hour shift. And it, But it's the price you pay if you want to be good. You know, It's it's easy to sit on the couch and say, oh, I, I'm tired, I worked. And, or it's another thing to say, okay, go get it done. So that's definitely a big part. The summer training is probably one of the – most important parts, which is sad because, like you said, you know, most other athletes, you know, they get that off season. They right. can relax a little bit. If anything, summer is like, okay, I need to get my poop in a group and let's go. Right. So the price you pay. Poop in a group. I like that. <laughs> no, I, th- I think the other thing, too, with Michael is, you know, he he sees the opportunities. He sees the opportunity to, to do well, and he's taking the, that initiative. I can't make anybody do the miles that he does. I mean, I, I can tell him what we think we should be doing, but he's got to get his butt out the door, and, and he's doing it, you know, and, and that's part of it. It's been that way throughout all of our runners that have had the, the, the higher successes. They've taken it upon themselves to make sure that they are committed to this, this endeavor. I can have people who have all the talent in the world come in, and if they don't want to do it, I can't make them do it. Right. And, and that's what's... What's fun about watching guys, you know, when, I, when I'm recruiting an athlete, and I just had a conversation about this yesterday with, with the kid, he's like, well, what are you looking for? I said, looking for people who want to do this, who want to get out that door and run, who love the, the lifestyle, who buy in fully, and, and I'm not telling them that they have to run. And that's what we're looking for, and Michael's got that, and it's exciting. You know, I mean, he came from a good program, good coach, good committed coach, um, good program, good runners around him. Um, it, it, it planted the seed for him, I think, but at this point now he's, he's growing on his own and that's all we can ask for. I want to throw one more running question at you. It's not related to your program or anything, but I would imagine, and Matt and I have talked about this numerous times. I would imagine at this meet you're traveling to now down in Rock Island, North Central will be there mm-hmm. out of Illinois. Mm-hmm. They're sort of the cross-country gold standard, if you will, with conference championships, national championships, and everything. You've been able to see mm-hmm. that team up close. What is it <laughs> that just makes them? And I, I mean, we're talking yeah, their 40 yeah. straight conference yeah, yeah. championships they've won, and it's how an many national dynasty they've built down there. Yeah, they really yeah. have. So what 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 is it about that one program? Because those kind of programs fascinate me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well. It, like anything, there's there's a the history alone speaks for itself. And once you see that kind of thing, you want to run for that, right? Heck yeah, man! I mean that's that's awesome. And the kind of coachings that they've had over the the course of you know the last sixty some years between Alcarius and and beyond, they've done some really awesome things with those athletes. And and yeah, when when you got a program like that, you want to run for them. And, you know that's no no different than some of ours in our own. You know. The WIAC, for instance, you know, the crosses and Stevens Points and Eau Claire's over the years and, and, and others. Um, there's just you want to do those things. And so, you know, that's that's the goal for all of us is to build up some kind of equity like that, his, historic equity like that, that we can draw in people that recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's there there's something special and it's it's fun to watch them. And when you can have that kind of pull, you know, you've got your pick of the litter. Yeah. You know, and, and when you've got that. To, to be able to develop, you know, thoroughbreds into better thoroughbreds, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? So we 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 are going to continue to work towards those goals, obviously, like everybody else right. is. Um, but we're excited when we've got guys who want to do this, you know, and and want to commit to themselves to that to that level. Um, that's those are the guys that are going to, you know, all of the guys we've had have developed here versus mm-hmm. you know. 
being the state champions on every, you know, in every event they've run, right. you know, Michael's great, but he wasn't, a, you know, a state champion on that kind of level. But, but guess what? He's now showing something that sure. I don't think a lot of people were necessarily knew that was in him yet, but now he's showing, you know, and I think that's fun. Well, that's, I'm imagining that that's how Carrius started at North Central. I mean, he didn't just step in and all of a sudden there were state yeah. champions flocking to his program. I mean, yeah. he, you have to build that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to build up that kind of equity. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to be able to show, look, I can develop runners. Yeah. And then we have to have some success. And that's when you get the guys that are like, well, I could go small time D1, but maybe I'll run for that guy down in, in at North Central yeah. just because his program is visible. They win a lot, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I'll get better running under him. You know, I mean, that's kind of, for me, that's kind of where it starts is where, where you guys are at as far as like building toward a program like that. I mean, there might be several steps in between. But, I mean, you have to be able to show that you can build something. People aren't just going to flock to your program. Yeah. You know, you have to continue to build up equity and, and, and a reputation in a program in order to get those kids that come in and are just, okay, yeah, you know, I had a chance to go D2 maybe, but I said to go run for Glenn, you know, yeah. you know down the well, road. Well, you know, I, I think geography <clears throat> plays at times points in a lot of these things. I mean, right, yeah. we, we know where we are in, in the state of Wisconsin and, for a lot of kids in Wisconsin, it's the end of the it's the end of the road. It's Canada, them. actually, it's the end of the road. It's right, yeah. as far as you can go, and and for some that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. Whereas, and I've always said this in Minnesota, we talk about the Twin Ports, and and they're like, oh, I love I love that area. Yeah, all right, come. You know, so it's a little bit you know in geography, it's a little bit easier to sell at times. Doesn't mean we're not trying, but um, the perception is is there. You know, to go to the end of the road versus. You know, Chicago, everybody's going to Chicago. That's a cool place to be. Right, yeah. Um, so we, we find the people that fit who we, you know, who, who belong here. And, and that's a different picture than, than the bulk right, know, yeah. is. Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, our pool is, is what it is. But, but again, we find the right people for our program that fit right. our institution. Um, and again, this is, we want the people who want to be here, you know, and want to continue to battle for, for what they want, you know. The successes they want like michael here so it's it's uh you know we we, we got to continue to work to find the right people for our our program i think it's kind of across the board though too like yeah. you're always looking for kids that kind of fit what mm -hmm. you want to be mm -hmm. and where you are you know because I, I that's a familiar refrain you hear if i think from all the coaches and all the sports is that we need guys that and girls yeah that fit i, what I we think want the hard to, part yeah. though is you know once we get them here uh you know if, even if it's the end of the road they, they look around like oh there's something here you know they, they it just it, we got to get them in the door, you yep. know, and, and yep. that sometimes that's the hardest step. And but once they get here, I think they realize that there's more to it than they than they thought, which is good. So heading down to Rock Island this weekend, then a week off, and then UMAC championships, and away mm -hmm. we go. Let's put another banner up. Let's do it. Head coach Glenn Drexler, Michael Butterfield, thanks for coming by. Oh, yeah, thanks guys. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more of I Have the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. We're back on our final segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm and a, a good conversation with Coach Drexler and Michael Butterfield and I... I Though one of those sports I just don't know a lot about is when Me you start either, getting right? into cross yeah. country and track and field. So Clearly, I didn't know. It's always <laughs> nice to be able to get a little bit of background into the strategy that goes right. into a cross country, not just race, but season. Right. Well, and the, the jump, I didn't realize that the jump was so extreme going from a 5K to an 8K on the men's side. I didn't realize the number of miles you ran in your training yeah, it's nearly a lot of, double. It's, it's that is double, insane yeah, to me. The amount of miles, so that's insane. That doesn't didn't surprise me as much when I heard how much of a jump it is, though, in terms of distance. Yeah, um, because in order to train yourself to be able to perform at the 8K level that you did at the 5K level, you probably have to do that. Yeah, you think about it. I mean, yep. it, it makes logical sense that you would have to probably double your mileage in order to have the endurance necessary to perform at your best at an 8K the way that you do at a 5K. Right. Um, on the women's side, Leon Glenn kind of made the point that the jump from five to six isn't that big, but on the men's side, it is a, it is a serious jump, right? You know, that's an extra mile plus yep. that they got to run almost a mile and a half, more than a mile and a half. Actually, it's mm -hmm. about 1.7 or so miles. 
you know, so uh, of extra distance they got to cover. Right. And so and you got to like keep a consistent pace and still perform up there, you know. And it was interesting to hear Michael Butterfield say, you know, yeah, it was kind of a shock to the system. Sure. Because you're used to that 3.1 miles and now you're going just under five. Right. You know, four plus. That's a that's a big jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And they'll be taking that jump this weekend when they, they head to Rock Island, Illinois. And uh, let's take a quick glance at what the schedule holds. Yeah, we'll uh, start off with men's uh, and women's cross country. Both teams are at the Augustana Interregional Invitational. That was the meet that uh, Coach uh, Drexler and also Michael Butterfield were referencing earlier. Uh, it's hosted by Augustana at the Saki Golf Course in Rock Island, Illinois. Women's race at 10.30 a.m. The men's race will follow at 12 noon. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of teams there. It, yeah, and you know, coach yeah. said they're coming from the east coast, the west coast, the south. Yep. There are those handful of meets. I mean, you're a Twin Cities guy. The GRIAC is like that. Yep. Where you get yep. high schools, D1, D2, D3, and all these runners just converge on one place. Yeah. And with the, you know, the schedule starting to approach conference championship season and the regional season, this is actually a really good. Yeah. It's time. an interregional, which a, means yeah. yeah, and it's a good time to to see where you stack up. So right. there's going to be a lot of competitors in this. There meet. are, there are, and uh, you know, you you heard Coach Drexler talk about they've run in about three or four meets now where there's been a lot of teams. I mean, yep. we, we're going through it. I think somewhere anywhere from 15 to 25 teams have been at each of these last few meets, especially in the men's side. Uh, you know, in kind of getting them prepared for the UMAC mm-hmm. uh, conference meet. So yep. this is going to be another one of those, you know, instant, uh, instances where there's going to be a lot of teams there, a lot of different runners at different levels, and it's yep. going to be a, a good test to see, a good barometer for where they are going into the conference meet in a couple of weeks. So, mm-hmm. Yep, that's where uh, men's and women's cross country is. Uh, we'll touch briefly on men's and women's golf just because women, of course, are done for the season. The men will be in action coming – after the first of the year into May. Well, I think both teams will probably see some Yeah, they'll play some in the spring. Depending on the weather. Right. But right. the men, officially, their next one as of now, the NCAA Division Three National Championship, which will be held May 16th to the 19th at Keene Trace Golf Club in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And I know that's a long way off. Uh, if you want more information on how <laughs> that is going to end up, go to uwsyellowjackets.com and check out the golf page. Um, but, yeah, they're off until then. Um, in terms of official competition, they'll probably, like I said, play a few. I'm I'm assuming now with nationals on on the schedule for the guys that they're they're going to try to go on a spring trip now. Yeah, they're going to mm-hmm. want to get some rounds in during spring break week. Go in south March. somewhere. Yeah, and so they'll go south and get some rounds, and I'm both teams will probably go. And then you come back, you're at the mercy of the weather, as we learned last spring. Right, so yeah. you know, I imagine Coach Eberhardt's going to try to play in two or three meets in in april yeah in early may to try to ramp up a little bit for when he knocks the rust off a little bit yeah and make sure everybody is, is yep. as sharp as they can be right before the national meet yeah if not the simulator is going to be getting a workout yeah exactly so the guys are going to be getting on plenty of swings in and the women will like i said probably also get plenty of swings in as a result yep you know so they'll get a chance to get better as well and knock some of the rust off right get ready for you know 2023 down the road but mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that's what's up for men's and women's golf. Uh, again, again, congratulations to them on their conference title. Uh, women's soccer, they have three games this week. Friday, they're at home against Martin Luther for a 7 p.m. kick at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. Saturday against Bethany Luther, and that'll be a broadcast game for yours truly here. Uh, game two of a doubleheader, the men will lead things off that day at 2 o'clock, and the women will come at 4.30. I'm just made my pregame being at about 4.15 or so, but that's always contingent upon uh, how quickly the men's game gets over. But that's what's coming up for them. And then uh fun game always. Tuesday night they're taking on St. Scholastica at home. That'll be a 7 p.m. opening kick. I'll be on with the pregame at 645 on 91.3. Um, so KUWS. So that should be a fun one. Uh, the Golden Anchor up for grabs the again. The Anchor's on, on the line. Yep, the Golden Anchor's up on the line. Of course, the Yellow Jackets are in possession of the Anchor as of now. And hopefully they'll be holding on to it after Tuesday night as well. But it's kind of a fun little rivalry now that's kind of uh, – Building between UWS and CSS after many years of not playing each other, mm-hmm. and, but it's been building the last few years, and now they play for the Golden Anchor. So yep. good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's a great trophy, by the way. It's uh, I know that it needs to be spiffed up a little bit, a little but, bit but it's a great idea, though. It's right. uh, it's a fantastic uh, concept. Men's soccer, meanwhile, uh, this uh, they have three games this week as well. They're also playing Saints Class on that Tuesday, so it's going to be a busy day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, before that, they'll play on Friday against Martin Luther. That'll be four thirty p.m against the Knights, and then on Saturday against Bethany Lutheran. That'll be game one of that aforementioned doubleheader. 
2 p.m. the opening kick. I'll be on live with the pregame at about 1.40, 1.45, depending on how long me and Coach Mooney talk in the pregame coaches interview. But uh, So that's coming up. Uh, that'll be a good one, too. That's the first and second place teams in the conference going yep. at it for the second time this year, so that should be a good one. And then Tuesday at St. Scholastica, that's a 2 p.m. game over at Saints Field uh, across the bridge. Um, I don't think we've, on the men's side, have lost to Scholastica in quite a while. So a there's, while. A, there's a streak on the line there for Coach Mooney and the yep. boys in that one. And so that'll be an interesting day. So the uh, bridge battle at 2 o'clock for the men on that day and then 7 p.m. with the women that night. And then I'll be on with the pregame at 6.45. So that Tuesday should be a fun one. Should be fun indeed. Friday, both soccer matches are uh, rally towel giveaways. Okay. So the first 100 students – and there are 100 fans in attendance at both of those matches. will receive a free rally towel. And then the two matches on Saturday are Youth Day. Okay. So all youth 12 and under are admitted free of charge with a paid adult. So all the more reason to get out and hopefully brave some cooler temperatures and uh, yeah. enjoy, enjoy some soccer. I'm planning on being there on Friday. I'm not broadcasting the game, but I will be there just to catch up on what's going on before the game's on Saturday. I will be there saying words into microphones. Ah, yes, as you normally are for those soccer matches. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, women's volleyball. I have two matches this week. They've been flip-flopping with soccer, so they're, they're also the playing Martin Luther and Bethany. They just happen to be doing so on the road this weekend. On Friday, they're at uh, Martin Luther, 7 p.m., the opening serve down in New Ulm, and then they'll close out the weekend at Bethany Lutheran on Saturday at the North Gym in Mankato, 1 p.m., the opening serve there for Coach Lindrick, Diedrich and company. 7-1 and one in the league. Yeah. And they've got an unhealthy like, edge now in that second, too. I they, think they're they're going to be pretty well entrenched at number two, I think. Yeah, because Morris has dropped a couple of more matches. Yeah. And, um, I Now I think Northland was pushing for a bid there for a bit. Yep. Martin Luther's in there somewhere, but – um, right now, it's pretty well entrenched that Northwestern's number one and the Jackets are number two. Yep. So, yeah, that's we're anticipating that being the final standing. That's what it seems like it's going to be, yeah. yeah. So that's what's coming up. A lot of good stuff happening for these Yellow Jacket sports teams. And if you have a chance, folks, get out and watch them because there's some good stuff happening here during this fall season. Adam DeMuth is our production guru in the other room. For Adam, for the Big Sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garver saying so long. And thank you for listening to Eye of the Swarm. (laughs) 